I'm going to read this morning from a very familiar passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12, but I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation, so I'm going to read it off the screen. Uh, if you'll turn your attention there, if you want to follow along, if you have, a, if you have the Version Bible app on your phone, you can click on and see it or on your iPad, but turn your eyelids at least somewhere so we can read together and look at the Word of God together. We begin reading in verse number one, says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and now he's seated at a place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Then you won't become weary and give up. This is the final message in a series that's been called Difference Makers difference makers. One of the things we believe for our church is we want people to know God. When people come to the gate church, we want them to encounter God. Doesn't matter if they know my name, know the name of our church, we want them to know God. That's why we do what we do. That's why these celebration services take place on Sunday is so people can know God. We want people to experience freedom. It was for freedom that Christ has made us free. How many of you know that means that once you're born again, he wants you to learn to be free in your mind, your emotions, your physical body, your finances. He wants you to experience freedom everywhere so you can learn to live the life that he called you to. We want everybody in this room to understand they were born with a purpose. God didn't wait for you to be born and think up something for you to do. He actually had something for you to do, therefore you were born. And when you find out what that purpose is, he wants you to make a difference. Somebody say, make a difference. So this series has been called Difference Makers. If you haven't been here for any of them, they're all online. I don't do this very often, but I'm telling you, you should go back and listen to them. I talked about one, about how we run because we're looking for an eternal crown. I talked last week about opening our eyes and see what a whole city looks like when it comes to Jesus and how a part we play. Today, I want to talk on this subject for the next few minutes. I'm running with giants. Would you say that with me out loud? I'm running with giants. Say it one more time. Father, thank you today for the ability to preach and teach. And I pray that over the next few minutes, you'll saturate this room with your presence. Let the spirit of wisdom and revelation rest upon us. I pray today that you give me entrance into men and women's hearts. Let the living word come alive inside of us today. Jesus, before you was ever called Jesus, you were called the Word. So I pray today that you'll become flesh and dwell among us. Let there be an incarnation of truth in our life today. And I give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. High five three people and tell them I'm one of them giants you're running with. Come on, just tell them, would you? Praise the Lord. How many?
many people here have ever heard anybody make this statement? Do you know what your calling is? Do you know what your calling is? It's a topic of incredible interest right now in our culture. In fact, even people that, that don't claim to have incredible relationships with God are all interested in what is my calling? What's my assignment? What's my place? But while at the same time it's a subject of great interest, how many of you in the room would be honest enough to admit with me like I have that sometimes it can be a topic of great pain, it can cause great hesitation because you seem like you spend your whole life confused over what is my calling. And people keep, keep, people, people keep asking this question, uh, have you found your calling? And come on, let's get honest. Some days I'm just trying to find my keys. How many of you to bear witness with what I'm talking about? What I've come to realize that oftentimes, please listen closely to me, oftentimes what we call a calling for many of us is nothing more than an ambitious, delusional fantasy of things we see in other people's lives that we wish was in ours. And because we can't figure out who we are, we constantly crave their life. And we end up trying our best to be something that God never created us to be. I got great news today. If you have no clue what your calling is, you're not too late. <laughs> I'm going to help somebody today. How, how, many, how many of you in the room say, Bishop, I could use a little bit of help about trying to figure out what maybe my calling in life is. Hold your hand up wherever you're at. I'm going to help somebody today. Because the truth of the matter is, listen to me closely, if you're not dead, God's not done. Here's the second truth. The second truth is this, is that you don't really have to spend your life trying to find your calling. If you will serve the purpose of God in the season you're in, your calling will find you. I'm going to try that one more time. If you will serve what you know to do in the season you're in, your purpose and your calling will find you. When, we, when, when, when I grew up in church, it used to be that we didn't, we didn't have all the talk about people having specialized ministries and we didn't get really particular with God about what we would do and not do. We grew up in the day when whatever your hand finds to do, you do it with all your might. If grass needed cut, everybody showed up and cut grass. If children needed taught in Bible school, people showed up and taught Bible school. They did whatever needed to be done because they weren't specialists. I'm going to help somebody today. You need to stay with me. But what's caused uh, the body of Christ to become paralyzed is that oftentimes we don't know what we're supposed to do, and so therefore we do nothing until we feel like we find out what is that special thing I've been called to. But if you'll start serving the purpose of God where you're at, whatever it is, you say, what does that mean? In other words, if you see something, if an opportunity is presented, if you put your hand to the plow, then all of a sudden things become awakened on the inside of you 
and you'll find out this is what I was really born for. I didn't know I was born to do this until I put my hand to doing some things that were available in front of me. When opportunity was presented to me, I was a college kid and a man said to me, he said, why don't you drive three hours every weekend to my church and lead worship? If you'll come down on Friday night, I'll put you up. I'll give you $50 a week for gas money to pay for your three hour trip down and back. I'll feed you and I'll let you lead worship on Sunday morning and Sunday night. I said, I don't know if I'm a singer. That's, I don't know if that's a call of God on my life or not. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do with my life. But it was an opportunity. So I just took the opportunity. When I took the opportunity, I found out that I learned something about the presence of God. I learned something about leading people. Next thing I know, he said to me, I believe there's a call of God on your life to preach. And then he let me preach. Then he wished he hadn't. I preached the first Wednesday night I preached. I preached an hour and 40 minutes. And he was like, son, you told us everything you know and some of the things I'm not even sure you were sure about. So I have progressively gotten shorter. I'm doing better. But it was by doing what became an opportunity helped me understand what I was really born for, what I was really called for. And the book of Hebrews is an interesting book because the book of Hebrews says this. The book of Hebrews has one word that describes it, and that word is better. Everybody say better. Better. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is talking to a group of people, the Hebrews, which means he's talking to a Jewish audience who basically has been going through the routine and the ritual of religion. And now they're trying to live out a new covenant. What does it mean to have a living relationship with God, not a stagnant dead one, not one where you just go through motions, not where you be ritualistic. In other words, not where your religion is only on Sunday morning from 10 to 12. How do you live out a covenant with God where every day you're sensitive to his voice and every day you live as somebody who is pliable in his hands because you recognize that he now, watch this, he doesn't want a religious relationship. He wants a personal relationship with you. And so the writer of Hebrews says, I want to show you a better way because you have a better covenant that's on better promises. And I want to show you how to get better results from your life. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about from the beginning to the end. It's about them teaching us how to live better, receiving better and experiencing better. How many of you want better in your life? Four things I want to tell you about today, if you're going to run with giants, four things that I believe you ought to know from this passage. The first one is this. You can put them down in your notes. Your calling is always connected to others who were called before you. Your calling is always connected to others who were called before you. In other words, God doesn't let you live your life in isolation. You are a part of a big plan. You're part of a big scheme. You are the continuation of something that God began. And you are the link to something God wants to continue. It begins, Hebrews 12.1 begins with the word, therefore. Somebody shout, therefore. All of the English teachers in the room and all of you that took English knows that therefore means you gotta go back and see what there's therefore. It goes back to what was previously talked about. So you realize that the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. The Bible was written as a letter. 
So this letter that was being written, the writer is talking to them out of Hebrews chapter 10 about how the, the people learned to live by faith and that unbelief stopped some people. Chapter 11, he comes and he introduces them to those who refused to be full of unbelief and acted on their faith. He gives them the definition of faith. I'll talk about that in a minute. And then he begins to give them some demonstration of who it was that lived out by faith. He comes to the end of chapter 11 and listen to the part. We don't ever read this part of chapter 11, but I want to read it to you. It's verse number 39 and 40. It says, there were all, these were all commended for their faith. Watch this. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something. Come on, somebody shout it. He had planned something better for us. So that only together with us. Could they be made perfect? That is a huge statement that I could spend about two hours on. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to spend about five minutes. Here's what God said. He's writing the scripture and he's saying, here are all these heroes of faith. Here's these giants, these incredible people that you and I look up to and say, we could never match up to. I could never be Moses. I could never be David. I could never be like Samson. I could never be like Abraham. I couldn't be any of these. And, and none of them got up praying to be any of that. They were just normal everyday people that by faith began to believe God and do something with their life. They wanted their life to make a difference. But here's what he said. He said, he said everything that they did they still didn't receive what they were promised. In other words, they didn't come to the conclusion of the matter. They didn't get to the end of the story. They only ran one leg of a race. And watch what he makes this statement. He said, cause I got something better planned. And the better plan is this. They can never fulfill their mission without you. It's incredible. God said, it's incredible what they did. But David can never get his reward if you don't run your race. And Peter can't get his reward. And Moses can't get his. Because God connected us generationally. In other words, watch this. If the 21st century church doesn't run like giants, then all those who went before us lose. They don't pass out medals till the race is over. And not your leg of the race. The race as a whole. So the writer of Hebrews comes along and he says this. He says, I want every person to understand something. If you want to win, you got to make sure you help the generation before you win. And you got to make sure you help the generation coming after you win. Because if you're not connected to something more than yourself, nobody wins. Am I doing okay? See, somebody had to answer the call in every generation. Somebody did it in my generation. Uh, somebody was asking me last week about my grandparents. My grandparents in the 30s received Christ. Somebody, a, a woman went from 
from Azusa Street to New York City, started planting a church called Gospel Tabernacle. From Gospel Tabernacle, she sent her preacher boys down to D.C. My grandparents then received the fullness of the Spirit and were born again in the 30s. What began with those preacher boys in the 30s ended up touching my mom and dad in the 50s, touched me in the 70s. Now my kids are born again. Now my, children, my grandchildren are part of the house of God. Why? Because four and five generations ago, somebody picked up the baton and said, I'll run my race. Somebody said, I'll stand in my place and I'll do what I've been called to do. Not famous, not well-known, not on television. Nobody's writing articles. They don't have a blog. They're just doing what they can do with what's been put in their hands because they recognize they've been entrusted with something as powerful as the gospel of Jesus Christ. My calling is always connected. God doesn't look, God's not looking for four or five superstars in Oklahoma City. He's looking for ordinary people that recognize I got a place in the kingdom. I got an assignment in the kingdom. And if I don't run my race, we don't win. If I don't do my part, Moses needs me. Come on, look at your neighbor and just tell him, say, Moses needs you today. Just tell him, would you? That's why, that's why the Bible says we have a great cloud of witnesses. Who is that cloud of witnesses? It's everybody in Hebrews 11. It's every, it's every member of your family that's ever died in Christ. They are not, they've not yet gone on to their reward. We say things at funerals that are not true. We say, brother so-and-so died and has gone on to his reward. Wrong totally not biblical. Nobody has gotten a reward yet. Everybody is in a waiting place to see if the next runner will run his leg of the race. And if they'll run their leg of the race, there'll come a day when the race will come to an end and then everybody in the grandstands of heaven will say, thank you for keeping the faith. Now we all win. Hallelujah. He said, I got something better. And the better is, is that somebody came before you and somebody's coming after you. Do you want to know why this church needs to be fully committed to every generation coming after us? Because we don't win if they don't win. That was really weak. And I realize I'm swimming upstream in our culture because in the culture we live in, it's about us. I pass people on the interstate driving $300,000 motorhomes and the bumper sticker says, I'm spending my grandkids' inheritance because that's the thought pattern of our culture. But that would have not been the thought pattern of our grandparents' culture. Our grandparents worked, worked sod farms in Oklahoma and land, they, they went on land runs in order to take 40 acres and hold it together and pay for it and get it out of debt so they could pass it on to children so they could have a better start than they had. And then they passed it on again. But we don't think that way. We think like consumers. We think it's about me. I got mine, you get yours. But that's not how the kingdom operates. The kingdom is one generation builds and another comes along and builds and then another one comes along and builds and sooner or later the glory of the Lord covers the earth the way the water covers the sea but in order for that to happen we have to run with giants and realize I'm connected to something greater than myself can I tell you something 
if we're seeing more, doing more, and experiencing more than any other generation, it's only because we're standing on the shoulders of mighty men and women who went before us. I want to tell you something. We sit in a building today that's an amazing place, but we didn't all do this. Somebody prayed for this long before the bricks and mortar were ever put in its place. Somebody prayed for this 50 years ago before you and I ever thought about being a part of the gate church. Somebody, God is answering somebody's prayers right now that your family would experience the goodness of God. Hallelujah. Here's the second thing he said. He said, not only is your calling connected, but he said, you have to understand something. Your calling is uniquely fashioned. It's uniquely fashioned for you and for you alone. Here's what he said. He said, I want you to run the race that God has set before you. I want you to run the race that God has set before you. Now watch this. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us the definition of faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the definition of faith. It's the substance of things hoped for, which I can't wait till next week we begin our Christmas series called The Thrill of Hope. It's the missing element in our culture. It's the evidence of things hoped for. Listen, if you don't have hope, faith left weeks ago. You can't operate in faith if you ain't got hope. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. So he gives the definition of faith. But watch this. He then spends the next 39 verses showing us the demonstration of what that faith looks like. And that faith looks like, hold on to your seat, buckle up, it's about to get bumpy. That faith looks like something you do. Not something you talk about. Your faith is never demonstrated by your talk, it's demonstrated by your walk. Because then he begins to go through the whole list. By faith, Abel offered. By faith, Noah built. By faith, Abraham left. By faith, Isaac blessed. By faith, Moses forsook the palace. By faith, Israel passed through the Red Sea. By faith, they marched around the walls. Here's what we do by faith. We quit and we keep talking to each other about how much faith we got and we never get up off our blessed assurance and do anything with what we talk about. Your faith will always create action. James said it this way. You say you have faith? Show me your faith by your works. That's how I see your faith. What are you doing with what you believe? That's the question mark. If we're running with giants, what are we doing with it? Because can I, how, how many of you in here be honest enough to admit with me that all our talk is not changing the world? 
We have more Christian resource available today to us than we've ever had in history. We got more Christian bookstores. We got more Bibles, more Bible translations. We got more books written. We got more blogs. We got more Christian television channels. Sodom didn't even have a Bible. Corazon didn't even have a Bible. And Jesus looked at the city and said, had the miracles been done in her that were done in you, the whole city would have believed. It's not that we don't have information. It's our faith hadn't moved us. And if it hadn't moved us, we have to really ask ourselves the question, is it really faith? Or are we just giving mental assent to some religious thought that eases our conscience and makes us believe somehow we're making a difference? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your faith. Is this okay? He said, I want you to take your faith and I want you to do what you were created for. Here's what Ephesians 2.10 says. You were created for good works. You were created for good works. Do you know why Christians are in the world? To salt it. To bring light to darkness. Do you know the first schools were not begun by an educational department? Oh, you don't want me to get started. I realize some of you believe the government can fix everything. But 50 years ago, America was number one in education in the world. We opened an education department, and now we're 24th in the world. That's after the government took it over. It started by the church. Do you realize the first health care systems were began by the church? Come on, somebody. The first nursing homes were put together by the church. Why? Because we were created for good works. We were created to help people. We were created to lift them out of their places of bondage, out of their places of desperation, out of the places that life had overtaken them. We were meant to be people that had good news in the midst of a bad news world. We were meant to be people that brought light in the midst of darkness. We were meant to be people that were positive in a negative world. Not sit around and be Fox News watchers and become critics. I'm not criticizing Fox News. I'm just saying, sometimes our religiosity, all it's done is made us judgmental and critical of everything else that goes on in our world. I want to say, where is my faith helping to lift loads? Where do we lift burdens? Where do we break bondage off people's lives? Where do we help our neighborhoods be better? Because we're people who have actually put our faith to work. The people I work with can't wait to see me come in the office because they know the atmosphere will change when I get there. I want to be one of those people that everywhere I go, things get better. Somebody ought to help me shout. I don't, I don't feel a whole lot of help right now. Here's, here's what he said. Can I just say something? Do you realize, you remember when Jesus was at the, at the, at the, at the, washing the feet of the disciples just before the cross? He wanted a meal with them. And when he finished eating, the Bible says he got up and he took off his garments, put on a towel and washed their feet. 
Here's a picture. He ate so he could serve. Try that over here. He ate so he could serve. Do you want to know why I think a lot of people don't come back every week to church? Because they're not hungry. You want to know why they're not hungry? Because they have never served off the last meal they ate. So one meal a month does them. But I wonder what would happen if I ate so I could go serve. I wonder what would happen if I came in here on Sunday morning and ate so I could go give my life away all week long and I'd have to come back in here and fill my life back up again so I could go give my life away again because I really wanted to be a difference maker in my generation. Hallelujah. He said, I want you to run. Somebody shout run. The word run there is interesting because it means to go with haste. It means with intentionality, move with speed. In other words, when an opportunity presents itself, don't sit and think about it. Get with it. Go. Move. Run. Do you know how many, do you know how much, and this is not even a message about this. This, well, this is going to come later in the next year. But do you realize how much help we need at this place to do the vision God's called us to do? I need a hundred new volunteers tomorrow. Tomorrow, there's so many places we got holes we can't fill because we got eaters. I'm looking for runners. People who with haste will say whatever, whatever it needs to do, I'll do it because I want to run the race set before me. And here's the key. He said the race set before us. That means, watch this, that means there is a course, there is, a, there is an avenue for you to run in, watch this, that God chose. Whew. I feel like I'm in, my dad said when it gets really quiet, it's good hunting. So, I feel like I'm in good hunting. Listen, listen, don't miss this. The greatest weapon of mass distraction and the greatest weapon of mass destruction against a believer is comparison. The greatest weapon that hell uses against your life is comparison. Because what the enemy wants you to do is running your lane, looking in everybody else's lane. Rather than running the course set before you, you want to figure out how, what about that course? I like their life. Man, I think that's attractive. What would that be like? And what we do is we begin to want to envy other people's course rather than run my lane. Run my lane. This is my lane right here. See, we say, th we say things like this. Well, Bishop, man, yeah, I realize you're talking about running with giants. I'm just a school teacher. No, you're not just a school teacher. You are a representative of the kingdom in the classroom. 
to a whole group of students. You get to show up at a place of education that is marking people for history. Well, I'm just a lawyer. No, you're not. You're a Christ representative in the courtroom. What would it look like for Jesus to walk in and represent a client and stand before a judge? You're not just a banker. You're not just a construction worker. You are a representative of the kingdom. You have a lane to run in. And in that lane, you will reach people that preachers will never touch anytime, anywhere. You're not just something you think is less significant because you don't have a platform. Every day of your life, two things ought to be happening every day of your life. Every day of your life, you ought to be saying, how much can I become more like Jesus? And every day of your life, you ought to be asking the question, how can I become less and less like everybody around me? Because here's what happens. We get enthralled with other people, compare our life to theirs. Well, I'm not as good a singer as they are. Okay. So, I don't, I don't really know if Leonardo da Vinci could sing. But his lane wasn't singing. His lane was painting. Who cares if you can't sing if you've been called to hug a child? Well, I don't, I'm not deep in the Bible. Well, you don't have to be a theologian to tell your story. That's the problem now. People wait till they've learned everything that they can learn. By that time, they're dead. And we go, wasn't that a big waste? What are you doing with what you got? I don't have to be that. There's some people in this room that are theologians. There's some people in this room that if I wanted to ask some deep theological questions, I'd sit down with them at breakfast and ask them. But you know what? Most of my issues aren't deep theological questions. That's only for people that want to argue. Come on, the truth of the matter is, if your marriage is a wreck, you don't need to know about the kenosis theory and whether he's self-emptied and whether he's peckable or impeccable. Or you, shut up. Who cares if you got your hermeneutic and your homiletics all in order? You need to find out, husband, love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. This don't need to get deep. I just need to run my lane. I wish I had some help in the room. I just need to find out how can I run in my lane and figure out how to fulfill the call of God on my life. Here's the third thing, is that your calling only has one focus, and that's Jesus. He said the only way you can run this race and stay in your lane is to keep your eyes on Jesus. I want to talk to everybody in the room who spent your whole life comparing yourself with other people. Only two things happen when you compare yourself. 
It's only two ways you can go when you live in comparison. Either you become totally deflated and discouraged because you think, I don't have anything they have. I don't measure up. I'm a failure. I'm not, wor- I'm not worth nothing. And you just go into discouragement. Or if you live in comparison, you look at other people and say, I'm better than they are. I may not be doing the best, but I'm better than they are. And you get lifted up with pride and arrogance. That's why comparison's a killer. That's why the enemy wants you to always be comparing yourself with other people. You don't compare yourself with other people. The issue is not, am I doing better than you? The issue is, am I doing what Jesus wants me to do? That's the issue. Am I doing what Jesus wants me to do? When I lay my head on my pillow tonight, has Jesus been pleased with my day? There's some days I lay my head on my pillow and Jesus says to me, you know that opportunity today at the gas station when you were getting gas and that lady next to you was frustrated and stumbling around and you could have walked over and said something to her or maybe you could have paid for the groceries of somebody that was behind you or maybe you could have went to that worker who found out they got a bad report from the doctor and just said to him, hey, I'm going to be praying for you. I want you to know I believe Jesus can touch your life. Maybe when you lay your head on the pillow, Jesus reminds you of those things and you go, you know what? That was my lane for today. I needed to be in my lane and so Father, I missed it but I'm going to do that tomorrow. Give me an opportunity again to let me do that. Maybe if I can lay my head on my pillow at night and say, Jesus, was you pleased with my day? And if you were pleased with my day, then I'm pleased with my day. I don't care if TBN invited me. I don't care if I got to tell my story on Instagram. The key is I don't run my race looking to you. I run my race looking at Jesus. He is the initiator And he is the perfecter of my calling. You know what that means? Hold on, I'm almost done. Look at your neighbor and say, it's going to get better from here. Come on, just tell him, it's going to get better from here. Do you know what that means? That means that you and I have no right to be complaining to the master about what lane he chose for us. Because he chose the best lane for my life. And you know what else that means? That means I can never fuss at the master and say, you didn't give me what I needed. Mm -mm. He said, I initiated it. So everything you need to fulfill your call is in you or it's around you. You're not lacking anything. Everything you need to do, it's in you. Whether you've activated it, whether you've moved on it, whether you've discerned it around you or not, remains to be seen. But it's around you because he's the initiator and he didn't set you up to fail. He set you up to succeed. He's saying, I am the one who orchestrated the lane you're going to run in. And just like I did it, Noah, do you know what? Noah built an ark. Can you imagine the conversation Noah had with God? 
Come on, think about it. God comes to Noah and says, Noah, yes. I want you to build me an ark. Okay. What's an ark? It's a big boat, Noah. I'm not in construction. I know, but I've put it in you. Why am I building an ark, God? It's going to rain. Here's Noah. What's rain? Because up until that point, it had never rained on the earth. Noah had never seen rain. So that means he built something he'd never seen out of material he'd never used to save his family from something he'd never experienced. Because the lane that God chose for him, God had already given him everything he needed to accomplish what it was that he was gonna do. So if Noah could build an ark he'd never seen to survive a storm he had never experienced. How many of you believe you can get through next Friday and run in the lane God's called you to? I mean, all these guys, we, we read these stories like these were just, like they were just like, oh yeah, sure God, amen. I, I was fasting this morning and like Moses, yeah, I'll leave the palace of Egypt. Sure, I'll do that and go wander out in the wilderness for 40 years, no problem at all. Are you kidding me? But their faith moved them to run in their lane. And they did it keeping their eyes. The Bible says Moses saw him who was invisible. While I'm down here running and everybody next to me looks like they're getting ahead of me and everything around me looks like it's working and mine is not working the way it ought to, but I just keep running. How many of you know I don't need to see them, I need to see him who is invisible because the one who called me is faithful to perform what he called me to do. Look in at Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Here's the, here's the final one. Your calling has a connection to the past and the future. Your calling is uniquely fashioned for you. Your calling has one focus, and that's Jesus. Don't miss this. Your calling always demands and requires determination. Look what the Bible said about Jesus. It said he endured the cross. It wasn't pleasurable. It wasn't convenient. How many of you believe going to the cross was like convenient? Or we act like somehow maybe God so graced him that he didn't feel any pain. The Bible says it was agonizing. But he endured the cross how many of you know to be hung up naked on the corner of the busiest street in the city can be very shameful? Since he disregarded the shame. Wow. And he endured hostility. I know people that quit serving in local churches just because somebody said something to them at the front door. 
Well, I'm not serving. I'm not coming back next week because they didn't, they didn't appreciate my gift. Really? Really? Who are we doing this for? He endured hostility and he did it for this reason. To show us you can fulfill your calling and not grow weary and give up. Can I tell you something? Being in the will of God is the safest place you can be on the earth. But watch this. Doing the will of God can sometimes be the most difficult thing you ever do in your life. I remember when God spoke to me about the nations and my kids were little. I walked down jetways of airports with a wife and three girls standing behind me going to places that I would be hours. There was no telephones. There was no way to be in touch. And tears would run down my face. I'd say, God, I hurt so bad. But I know this is my lane. I'll do my part. And I'll trust you. Take care of my wife. Take care of my kids. I was in Jamaica. When Lindsay was dying. Literally dying. Lady from our church, Kathy was in the hospital with Lindsay. And the lady from our church called and she got me in the middle of the night and she said, Pastor, she said, Lindsay, the doctor said, Lindsay won't live till morning. She won't live till morning. Kathy and I had already lost one child. We were believing God for a family. And now our daughter's laying in the hospital and we doctors don't even know she's in the leading hospital in the state of Virginia they don't even know what's wrong with her all they all they could tell me on the phone I'm preaching a crusade and all they could tell me was she won't make it till morning I slipped out into my hotel room and I laid on the floor and I said God I didn't ask for this This wasn't born in my ambition. This is a lane you gave me to run in. And if when I get up in the morning, she's alive, I'll trust you. And if I wake up in the morning to a phone call and she's not alive, I'll still trust you. Because this is my lane. couldn't get a flight the next morning I got a phone call at 720 that same lady called and said pastor they don't know what happened but about an hour ago Lindsay took a turn she took a turn everybody's not been called around my race 
we do people an injustice when we tell them things like this, if I can do it, you can do it. That's not true. If you haven't been graced for that lane, you better not get in it. That's why you never envy somebody else's lane. Because the grace for your life is on your lane. But your lane has an assignment. It has an assignment. Whatever it is. All of us have a lane to reconcile men and women back to God. That's our calling. That means I reach lost people everywhere I go. The world has been left to you and I. All of us have a ministry of good works. That means I serve. I serve. I don't come and just sit. I serve. I was created for that. To demonstrate Jesus. And you know something? Some days it's going to be inconvenient. Somebody said, well, some days I just don't feel like coming to church. Well, join the crowd. Some days I don't feel like coming to church. And then I remember I'm the pastor. I got to come. But my faith is never dictated by my feelings. My faith is dictated by who I believe. So is there going to be things you're going to have to throw off? Yeah. Are there going to be things that's going to be difficult? Yeah. Is God going to interrupt your schedule sometimes? You better believe it. But at the end of the day, heaven's got a grandstand going. Come on, Tony. David's standing there going, I was scared when I ran at a giant too, but I ran anyway. And Gideon's going, I was hiding in a wine press, but I found out that I could break a pitcher and hold up my light. God would give me a victory. And Samson said, I didn't know what I'd do in that Philistine, in that Philistine temple, but God restored my energy again and gave me my strength back. And Paul said, I didn't know how I'd take the gospel all over Asia Minor and all over Europe, but I did. I walked my way all the way from the Holy Land to Rome because I recognized I had a lane to run in. And I endured and I, I, I got over the shame and I got over what other people thought because I kept my eyes on Jesus. All I'm looking for is a church called the gate who says I'm running with giants. I'm running with giants and I want my life to make a difference. Whatever that means, wherever it is, whatever it takes, I'm ready to run with giants.